Hi, I'm Bob Eckblad. Welcome to my podcast, Disciple, Word, Spirit, Justice, Witness. Today I want to talk about Jesus' second coming. And uh, I've been doing some Bible studies around Matthew 24, beginning in verse 29 with a number of groups. And just really inspired and, you know, finding all kinds of uh, new thoughts and insights that I want to share with you. So let's look at what Jesus says about his second coming in verse 29. But immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light and the stars will fall from the sky and the powers of the heaven heavens will be shaken. So here Jesus is describing um, like his second coming when there's going to be a judgment of the powers. And that word shaken is uh, from the underlying Greek word sakueo, which appears throughout the Greek Old Testament and the New Testament in scriptures related to the judgment of the powers and the principalities. So we have it in the Septuagint version of uh, Psalm 82, which is the judgment of the sons of God, the counsel of God, the divine counsel, which uh, are described in the Greek text as using the same language as the rulers and the authorities and the powers that we have described in you know, 1 Corinthians 15 and in Ephesians 6, where it says our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and authorities and the powers. And um, these will be destroyed when Jesus returns, according to 1 Corinthians 15, right? Where then comes the end after he's delivered over everything to God the Father, after he's destroyed every ruler, authority, power, and death itself, right? And so this sacueo um, is this shaking that is related to that judgment of the existing world as we know it, which includes all structures, you know, nation states, corporations, organizations, denominations, brands, you know, currencies, everything like that. So Jesus goes on, and then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of the sky with power and great glory. It's interesting that the first reaction is mourning. You know, when the tribes see Jesus in the sky, the, si- the sign of the Son of Man, not sure what that sign is, but um, it leads to grieving, to mourning, you know, which actually is a really good thing. Um, Jesus says, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted, doesn't he? And so, um, you know, we don't know why they're mourning, but um, we're going to look a little bit later at at the place of confession and, you know, that results out of that kind of grieving in another scripture in a few minutes. So then Jesus says, verse 31, he will send forth his angels with a great trumpet and they will gather together all his elect from the four winds from one end of the sky to the other. So it's interesting. This kind of looks like, um, like a big rescue effort, doesn't it? Like a rescue mission. And, um, you know, um, in some traditions like the one I grew up in where we were expecting this rapture, and, um, you know, a lot of us grew up with, uh, you know, being exposed to Hal and Lindsay's writings and, you know, some of the thinking about, you know, how at any moment Jesus could return and we're going to be taken and, um, and we're going to avoid possibly then the tribulation. And so I was always hoping definitely that I would be taken before this horrible tribulation. And um, 
But what if this is describing um, the way that Jesus returns as sort of a big prison break? And we're in a prison and we need to be rescued. Um, do you ever feel like that's your situation, that you see the world as like like a big prison and we're just doing our time? You know, um, many of us maybe uh, do feel that way. And definitely people that are incarcerated feel that way. And people that are really struggling, you know, with, uh, you know, with sickness, you know, with chronic illness, with uh, mental health issues, depression, you know, people that go through adversity, people that are aging and in hospice or, you know, in situations like that um, are often very aware, okay, my time on this planet is coming to an end. Whereas others, you know, we're, we're just still, we have a lot of plans and we're very attached to material reality and we love the beauty of the world. And, and wow, what a beautiful planet that we live on. And I'm definitely one of those people that loves nature, loves to get out in the mountains, skiing, backcountry, hiking, you know, um, off trail, you know, swimming in the sea, in the rivers. Um, I love the beauty of this world. And I'm so grateful to God, our creator, for just this uh, amazing place that we, that we call home. And uh, yet we can be too attached, I think. And, you know, the older we get and the more we face struggles, and if we're in a place like the Ukraine right now that is being heavily bombed, um, you know, we become much more aware that we need um, to be rescued. You know, we need help. And, um, and I think this, these series of texts really emphasize that. And, and I think this is actually the attitude that we, we need to have if we don't have it, is recognizing that, you know, like Jesus tells us, we, we need to even hate the world and the things of the world, you know, because love of the world and being overly attached to material reality. And um, I mean, that comes often with the risk of idolatry and, and of losing sight of the, the reality that we need to be saved, we need to be liberated, we need, with all that include, that, that, that's included in that forgiveness of our sins, you know, um, restoration of the brokenness that is all around us in our lives. And so Jesus is described as uh, sending forth his angels with a great trumpet and they will gather together. That's like the same word as, uh, you know, as the ecclesia, the church, the elect, you know, the chosen from the four winds. And so that's really positive. That That's Jesus coming to, you know, to pull us together into this great community for the period of the new heaven and the new earth, you know, where death is defeated. So Jesus goes on and he describes some of the signs of that with his parable of the fig tree before moving on to verse 36. But of that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father alone. So that's interesting. No one is. T no one knows this hour. Not even Jesus. And um, it's it's top secret. This is top secret information, right? Why might that be the case? And I've been thinking. You know, the the ruler of this world, the Satan. You know, who is described as really uh, being the one who is behind. You know, the powers and the powers are beholden to him. He's the um, you know, the enemy in scripture, the, the devil. If, uh, you know, if there's a rescue effort that's going to take place, like a prison break, you know, those that are breaking people out of prison definitely 
don't want anyone to know when that moment's going to come. But the inmates that are going to be broken out definitely need to be on the alert, don't we? Like if we're waiting for this rescue effort, we need to be totally on point. You know, I think of this uh, jail that I was in in um, downtown Paris, you know, the Le Santé, Le Santé it's called. And in that jail, a number of years back, there was a rescue effort where this uh, inmate who had some friends in high places, um, everything was arranged for this helicopter to fly over and drop a big uh, cable and then pull this inmate out of the, the yard and uh, the guy was able to get away. He, res- he was rescued by his friends. And, of course, he needed to be aware of the exact day and the hour, the moment. Um, he needed to be ready, didn't he? And uh, since then, now they put big, uh, you know, big netting over the whole yard. So that can't happen again. But, um, you know, those that need to be rescued, you know, we need to be, you know, we, we need to be watching and ready. And, and we're not told when it's going to be. And, um, you know, what's, what's the downside of knowing when it's going to be? I asked that question to a group of uh, guys in a recovery house in Krasnodar, which is uh, in Russia, uh, 152 miles south of uh, Mariupol, the city in the southern Ukraine that's just been completely wiped off the map by the Russian invasion. And um, I've been meeting with these Russian guys every week. And... Um, so we were talking about that, and I was explaining to them how people in our jail system here, I mean, people that are facing, like, incarceration, say they know that, that in two weeks they have to turn themselves in. Often when they know the exact time when they're going to be um, arrested or, you know, when they have to go to the jail and surrender, what they will do is they will be, be involved in all kinds of activities that, to make money. You know, maybe they'll sell a lot more drugs than usual but they'll try to be extra careful to not pick up new charges. But, you know, they're trying to pull together as much money as they can so that um, possibly they could bail out or pay for a private attorney rather than have to go with a public defender. And so often um, people get involved in more risky behavior prior to, um, you know, to having to turn themselves in. And sometimes they will also do things like... Um, you know, ingest some drugs, they'll, they'll put it in a condom and then um, swallow it so that when they go into the jail, they've got drugs that they can sell and make some money inside the jail or prison system. And and so really knowing the day or the hour isn't a good thing because um, maybe also they're thinking, okay, I'm going to really, you know, party hard because I've just got a few more days of freedom. And so Jesus is wanting everyone to be in suspense. Um and so I was asking them, you know, the Russian guys, whether that, that's the case in Russia. And they were saying, oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, like if, if you know you, that you got to turn yourself in or if you know that your arrest is imminent, that that's when people, um, you know, will go and, and, and do just crazy partying and drug use and all the things that I mentioned. And so it's, uh, you know, it's best really to, Jesus wants us to be in a state where we're always ready, you know, for his return. And so we're not, you know, sort of uh, trying to get away with a bunch of stuff that isn't good and just, uh, you know, kind of going for it in a life of, of just rebellion and, and chaos, you know, prior to his return. We want, we want to be ready at, at all moments. 
and maybe this is a foreign idea to you that you would, you know, that you would take advantage of, of some free time before, you know, before, um, you know, the final moment when you would meet Jesus to, uh, you know, to eat, drink, and be merry. But it's not foreign to a lot of folks on the street. Anyway, so Jesus goes on and in verse 42, or in verse 40, he says, Then there will be two men in a field. One will be taken and the other one left. Two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken and the other one will be left. So we're given this example of, of, of this time when something's going to happen. Uh, you know, Jesus is going to return and someone's going to be taken and others are going to be left. So in other words, there is a possibility that you will be left if you're not on point, if you're not vigilant, if you're not watching. And uh, the example that's given for that is this, um, you know, the story of Noah, right? Um, for the coming of the Son of Man will be just like the days of Noah. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark. And they did not understand, okay, um, until the flood came. So are we going to be like that? Are we going to be people that don't understand until it's too late, right? Or are we going to be people who, who are paying close attention and realize the gravity of our current situation and the gravity and the seriousness of our lives and the importance of living our lives in readiness? Or are we going to uh, be like those um, who were taken all away? And Jesus says, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. You know, um, interestingly, in this text, it's, you know, this often is used to describe the rapture, which I don't really know whether that works. Um, you know, being taken is actually, you know, it fits in Matthew's gospel with the idea of being rescued. Like, it's the same verb uh, that is used, you know, par lambano to where Joseph is told, take Mary as your wife, and then and then he, he's told to take her out of um, Bethlehem and go to Egypt. And, um, and so he does that. He takes, he takes them into safety. And, um, and the word left, though, um, afiemi, is actually a word that can mean, um, you know, to, to be left, but it can also, it's the same word as to drop or to forgive. So uh, some are taken and then the others are left, but are they, is, is there that possible you know, second meaning of that as being forgiven. Well, I like to think that there is that that hope. And um, so anyway, I was um, I was reading this text with, you know, with people in our church community last Friday, and I was just asking them whether they see any difference between preparing for Jesus's return and preparing for their death. And um, I asked them, have any of you and I'll ask you, have any of you ever felt like your death was imminent and you needed to prepare for your death? Um, last night I was talking with the Russians and asking about Russian roulette. And um, and turns out they don't actually play that that game with a, with a loaded gun, but, but they do play that game in some form. But anyway, like that's the idea of a Russian roulette. Like if, if you had a gun to your head and you knew that any one of the the, the times that the trigger is pulled would be your death. How would that affect you? And um, I described how, you know, uh, like back in 1978, I was halfway up El Capitan, which is um, a big, huge cliff 
in Yosemite and I was climbing it with my friend and um, we were, you know, probably 1500 feet up the 3,200 foot wall, you know, vertical wall. And uh, this, it, back then it took four days to climb and I was sitting on a little ledge facing the valley floor when this big storm sort of rolled in and uh, wind and, and then a lot of thunder and lightning and the lightning was hitting just all around the wolf, all around where I was sitting. And I was just like terrified. I just thought, you know, I'm going to die. And uh, any moment I'm going to be, I'm going to be hit. I'm going to, I'm going to die. And, uh, and I, my reaction was, I, I just felt like I needed to confess, you know, um, my situation before Jesus and, you know, kind of make things right. And I, I just poured out my heart and I, I confessed all the sins that I could think of. And I was just like, Jesus, you know, have mercy. Um, forgive me. Um, I've been living a life of just, you know, just wasting my life. I've, all I've been doing is just climbing mountains and I've, I've just been doing just what's right in my own eyes and, and have mercy upon me. If I, if I die right now, you know, just, uh, take me into your kingdom. And, and if I live, I, I surrender myself to you. You know, I, I give myself to you. I'm yours. And, uh, you know, and I, I managed to, we managed to make it up to this, uh, belay spot where we had to hang underneath this uh, thing called the hollow flake where while all night long it just uh, stormed and there was snow everywhere and snow on all the ledges and you know horrible weather and uh, a man below us repelled off his rope on, on another route on, the, on a route called the nose and his uh, his partner was screaming and crying all night long and we witnessed sort of this uh, rescue of sorts of uh, you know lights and the eight cars at the bottom of the wall and we didn't know what was happening because it was just you know windy and foggy and snowy but the next day we we retreated um no one had ever repelled off from that far up on that wall and um you know so we you know we were risking losing our lives the whole day but made it down and that was a life-changing moment for me so i told that story and then suddenly um it just kind of set off this whole series of people confessing and it was just this remarkable time where um you know one of our um, community members just said well there's something that i just need to confess and she uh she was very vulnerable and she she just shared something that she'd done and how there were negative effects of it and and she just brought it right into the light and repented of it and that led to uh, someone else um, actually, myself, I shared something that that I needed to, that I felt like was in keeping with the moment, and and uh, and then two other people really uh, spoke vulnerably and confessed their sins, and it was just such a powerful time. Like I, I, I was like, I felt like I, this sacred moment was um, initiated by by actually this text, you know, thinking, okay, well, preparing ourselves, you know, for our you know, for the coming of Jesus is like preparing ourselves for death. And so I just, uh, I was sharing that with the inmates last night. I mean, not the inmates, the, you know, the Russian recovery guys. And, you know, they, they were all saying, yeah, I mean, that's, that's kind of what they're doing all the time is, uh, you know, they're in this period of, of, of having come out of prison, come out of addiction, and they're in this recovery house and they're seriously, uh, examining their their lives and in this place of just regular 
a humble confession and seeking God's presence and and really preparing for whatever's coming. So Jesus says, therefore, be on the alert, for you do not know which day your Lord is coming. But be sure of this, that if the head of the house had known at what time of the night the thief was coming, he would have been on the alert and would not have allowed his house to be broken into. For this reason, you also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour when you do not think that he will. Okay, so it's it's this this scripture that reinforced the everything else that we that we were looking at and that I want to think about right now. Um, why why does Jesus associate himself as a thief? You know, he identifies himself as a thief. Have you ever thought about that? You know, um, I was asking the inmates whether they thought that Jesus was why he was might might be doing that, and they. A lot of them had come from um, lives of, of you know, being burglars. Excuse me, not the inmates, but the Russian recovery guys. And it was really hard for them to imagine Jesus associating himself as a thief. But, but it ended up really moving them to think that, that he wasn't, um, that he was willing to kind of use that same language around himself. And um, if we see this text as really describing a prison break, then. Um, Jesus would be like a burglar who's burglaring the kingdom of darkness and is kind of coming in to uh, to take what the strong man you know has um, you know has captured you know the ruler of this world um, if, if we're all like captives if we're all held captives and we're prisoners then um, then Jesus can be seen as someone that kind of breaks you know kind of breaks free those, those prisoners and takes the booty and so steals what's you know what's been stolen because clearly satan is called the the thief the one who comes to rob kill and destroy and jesus is described say in john 10 as the one who who comes to you know to give us abundant life right and so um if anything jesus is a good thief isn't he but um anyway that that just got me thinking more about that image of jesus as a thief and and us as needing to be waiting uh, for the moment when the thief would come, but not to block him. You know, here it's the head of the household, that if the head of the household had known at what hour the, th- the thief was coming, he wouldn't have allowed his house to be broken into. So that suggests that here the head of the household is like maybe um, maybe the equivalent of the ruler of this world or Satan, and, um, you know, who who's like the prison warden who is not going to let his... Uh, you know, his uh, captives be taken. And so, uh, you know, the fact that we don't know the day or the hour, no one knows except the Father. You know, the, this top secret mission is perhaps, you know, to keep it under the radar of, of the enemy. And we who are in the know, you know, who are kind of stuck in this realm of, uh, of the under the authority of darkness, as it's described in Colossians chapter 1, you know, and, and, you know, it's the Father who rescues us from the authority of darkness and transfers us into the kingdom of the Son of his love in whom we have redemption and everything, the forgiveness of sins. So there's a number of scriptures that talk about, you know, Jesus as the thief that I want to just look at here. First Thessalonians 5, 2 and 4 is the first one. You know, Jesus is described as coming as a thief in the night, right? And... um 
And then we have um, in verse First Corinthians 5, 2, and then verse 4. And, um, and so if he's coming as a thief in the night, then what does it mean to be ready for this, to meet this good thief who's going to come and to break us free from, you know, as his, you know, possessions, as his precious ones? Second Peter 3, verse 10 is another example of this. And uh, let's just look at that. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief in which the heavens will pass away with a roar and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat and the earth and its works will be burned up. Since all these things are to be destroyed in this way, what sort of people ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be destroyed by burning and the elements will melt with intense heat? But according to his promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth and which, in which righteousness dwells. Wow. And um, we have also in Revelation chapter 3, verse 3 and 16, 15, you know, similar descriptions. And let's just look at those. So Revelation 3, 3. Jesus says, So remember what you've received and heard and keep it and repent. Therefore, if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief and you will know at what hour, you will not know at what hour I will come to you. Okay. And then Revelation 16, 15 is another one of those same scriptures. Jesus, the good thief. Behold, I am coming like a thief. Blessed is the one who stays awake and keeps his clothes so that he will not walk about naked and people will not see his shame. And, uh, okay, well, that's that's another scripture like that. So um, I'd like to close by looking at a psalm that really um, reflects this importance of confession and um, as, as one of the things that we can do to prepare and um, and to be to make ourselves ready. How blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. How blessed is the person to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. So how blessed is that person, right? When when we're reconciled with God, when we've made when we've made amends, when we've uh, confessed all of our sins, we've turned away from you know the our misdeeds and and the attitudes that the Holy Spirit reveals to us that we need to turn away from, and we've received our forgiveness. And how blessed are we? And then uh, the writer of the psalm goes on in verse 3, When I kept silent about my sin, my body wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was drained away as with the fever heat of summer. I acknowledged my sin to you, and my iniquity I did not hide. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. So we have this amazing opportunity, you know, right now to, uh, to just invite the Holy Spirit to, to show us what we need to confess. You know, maybe our over-attachment to the things of this world, maybe our, just our sleep, sleepy, you know, sort of lack of mindfulness and lack of preparedness. And, um, you know, I don't know. It's important that we pray and that we only confess what the Spirit is really convicting us of. And, um, 
and if the, the hand of the Lord is upon us, you know, to invite that confession, let's not resist. So, um, therefore, let everyone who's godly pray to you in a time when you may be found, like maybe right now. Surely in a flood of great waters they will not reach him. You are my hiding place. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with songs of deliverance. So we need to be rescued. We need to be delivered. So God, um, the psalmist continues, and this is God speaking. I will instruct you and teach you in the way which you should, you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. So let's let ourselves be counseled and led by, you know, by God. Do not be as the horse or as the mule which have no understanding, whose trappings include bit and bridle to hold them in check. Otherwise, they will not come near to you. So let's not be like that, right? Let's, let's be um, people that are disciples, that let God instruct us and teach us in the way that we should go. That's what being a disciple really is, being a student and opening ourselves and letting the counsel of God be um, what guides us. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but the one who trusts in the Lord, loving kindness shall surround him and her. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, you righteous ones, and shout for joy, all of you who are upright in heart.